0: Joey To the business growth advantage. I'm here today with one of the smartest friends of mine. If you're a law firm owner, she probably looks familiar, Chelsea Williams. I always just call her like my money friend. If you're a business owner and you have any questions about like how to handle your money, how to make sure that you're doing all of the money things that you need to be doing in your business correctly, Chelsea is your human. Chelsea, how do you describe what you do?
1: I came up with the term for myself, money whisperer. But yeah, we t- you know, my goal is to give people financial clarity. You know, we mm. hear so much in the legal space about what law school didn't teach us about running a business, which was nothing. But what school in general didn't teach us about life is how to manage money.
0: It's mm. So true, so true. So just to give you guys a, a sense of, of what Chelsea does, she really has two brands. One of her brands, is it Core Solutions Focus or Core? Yep, Core Solutions Group. Core Solutions Group, they work specifically with law firm owners. And then she's got another brand, LP3. That's right. Which is for uh, ladypreneurs who need help with the money stuff. So she's got the legal preneurs and the ladypreneurs that she's helping. Occasionally, she'll let a guy like me into her inner circle. But we were talking before we went live about the different types of financial players that you would want on your team, on kind of like a board of advisors. Before we dive into what you do specifically, Chelsea, can you talk about this list of financial players that you tend to recommend that business owners have? And then we can get into how you sometimes fill in multiple of those roles.
1: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I want to just highlight the importance of understanding who your financial players Mm -hmm. are what their roles are and what your role is. Because at the end of the day, no one is gonna CFO for you. You need to own your stuff, right? Mm -hmm. And the reason that it's so important is because so often I will talk to people and they will come to us with all of these complaints about their bookkeeper, their accountant, their tax preparer. And a lot of times it's really a matter of not understanding what that role entails and what to Mm -hmm. expect out of that role and what to hold yourself accountable to with that role. So your key financial players are your bookkeeper who does the books, right? Then you have your accountant. Accountants have a tax understanding and no advanced bookkeeping. Sometimes the bookkeeper and an accountant can be one and the same. Sometimes your bookkeeper and accountant also does taxes. That's the hmm. third role, right? Now I will say with that role, it is important to, so there's a quote by Judge Leonard Hand And it says there are two tax systems in America, one for the informed, one for the uninformed, both are legal. Right? So of course you want to find that tax preparer. That's like, I'm informed. Right. And I know how to function in that capacity for you. Mm -hmm. So then the next two are in a different realm, which is your financial advisor. So I'll just say it's never too soon to start thinking and planning for retirement. I always Mm. hear that it's too soon. I got to hit that half a mil before I'll set things aside. It's never too soon to start having those conversations and finding someone that you can build that relationship with. And then the last one, which most people don't think about is your banker.
0: Mm. But
1: as we talked about earlier, your banker and having that meaningful relationship with your banker is so important and never has that proven so true as it did when COVID hit and everybody was scrambling to find PPP funding. Yeah. I'll bet if we could see the data of people who had a personal relationship with their banker and people who did not, I bet these people had a much smoother experience in getting that funding.
0: Mm, That's so true. And, And on that note, Well, let's let's engage the audience here. If any of these terms represent things that you don't have in place yet for your business, feel free to let us know below or maybe just drop a one if you can relate to have missing one of these or a two if you've got them all, but a bookkeeper, an accountant, a tax preparer, a retirement planner slash financial planner, and a banker. I like the order that you put that in, Chelsea, because at least to me, it really seemed like these are things that you kind of want to start with and build up to, and also things that, as we talked about before we went live, are like increasingly out of the scope of what you and your businesses do. So correct me when I'm wrong here. You guys can do bookkeeping. Yep. You guys can do accounting. That's right. You guys partner with a tax preparer so you can help manage that with people. Yep. And then you do not do the retirement planning and the financial planning. That's correct. But it sounds like you also have recommendations in there for people when they need it.
1: Yeah, I I have kind of principles to look for in making your decision.
0: You know, and, and we'll touch bankers, the last one on the list in a bit, but I think it's financial planners, I think are, it's an interesting thing as a business owner for me to think about because that tends to bring up the most like used car salesman vibes that I get as a business owner because every month some financial planner gets connected to me or wants to hop on a call. And it seems like networking is a big part of what they do and how they grow their business. I say that because if, if someone doesn't yet have a financial planner, do you have any recommended steps on how to find a good fit for you? Should people just be willing to, listen and pay attention to the ones that reach out to them? Should they go towards, you know, you or the equivalent of of someone like you who they work with? Are there things that might make someone maybe a good financial planner, but you and I are both in the law firm owner world. Should law firm owners be thinking about something in particular when we're looking for a planner?
1: So, I mean, the first thing I want to say is just, again, it's never too late. Even if you don't have, I mean, like most financial planners are going to want like a hundred thousand to invest with. Right. Even if you don't have that sitting in a bank account, I mean, a lot of us don't right? still go and have these conversations, meet people, take the calls. I I love the rule of three. I think I heard about it in Patty McCord's powerful, the book on Netflix. She was like HR, Netflix, HR, it's such a good book. So in my business library, you should totally read it. Um, But she talks about like the rule of three, Don't take one person's word for it. Don't interview one person and jump off the cliff, right? Talk to at least three people. If you can get them something out of those three to come to a decision that makes you comfortable, great. I will say it is important to understand what you're getting yourself into and what your different options are with retirement planners because here's what I have come to understand. Again, I am not a retirement planner. I didn't take the test. I don't have a series anything, (laughs) right? But I've talked to a lot of them and here's what I think people need to know. If you're looking at these kind of your retirement planners with a big company, a big well-known company, you need to understand that that company probably has pre-packaged things mm-hmm. that they are going to offer you as opposed to an independent broker type who can customize and pick. They don't have this kind of pre-packaged thing mm-hmm. that they're motivated to present to you, right? And also understand how they get paid because people are motivated by money, right? And you want to make sure that their motives are in the right place Mm. and that they're really working on behalf of you. And also recognize your options of just doing things yourself. Like Vanguard is an amazing platform. It's 2022. We got a bunch of amazing platforms Mm. where you can put five bucks in there and start trading and investing and doing all of these things. You know, just understanding your options and what each of those options comes with.
0: In, on the topic of financial planning, retirement planning, I think about, I run a couple of businesses, my wife is a rock star employee at a company. When we think about working with a financial planner, is that something that where we're thinking kind of mostly from the context of just like consumers and our personal lives? Or is it like, no, I need a financial planner, like for my business?
1: That's a good question. Look, we're business owners, our business is personal to us. Mm -hmm. Right. And that's what it all boils down to. Some of us are building a business to succeed us, and go beyond us and have, you know, hand the torch over to somebody else. And that's important. That's what key man insurance is for, for example, right. Mm. But when it comes to like, you and your wife, for example, and me and my family, I'm looking at it from a personal perspective. And Retirement planners have this amazing software that will plug your numbers in and the value of your company and what you have going on and it'll forecast, okay, you can retire at this age and this is how much money you'll have. Hmm. Just knowing that and staying up to date with that, it gives you, you know, cause our mind believes what it can see. Our brain is a visual organ. When you can see that and you know exactly what you're going for and where things are positioned. I mean, that's huge. <laughs>
0: That's awesome. And can you help explain the difference between a, the type of help that you as a business owner would get from a financial planner versus a, a CFO or a fractional CFO?
1: Yeah, yeah. And that's a good point. And that wasn't in our key financial players. Mm. Why? Because going back to what I said, at the end of the day, you are the one that's going to care about your business and its success, right? And you need to understand mm. all of those things. And you are the CFO of your life. And these are our businesses. This is so personal to us. So, you know, I almost kind of coach people how to be your own CFO in life, whether you delegate that or hire somebody as a CFO in your law firm, you still need to understand that not only for your business, but for personal. Yeah, that's great. So, yeah. So a CFO is really going to have a specific focus on a thing, on an entity, on a business. For example, in your business, you're looking at very specific metrics having to do with revenue, marketing, ROI, team efficiency and productivity and all of these things. But when you're looking at, you know, your life outside of your business, that's where like the retirement planning comes in. That's like, what do you actually want in life? Like your why? Why did you start your business? Because that's why you're going to retire or work by choice. So that mm-hmm. the, the motives there are kind of different in a way
0: so good. Okay. And then I don't want to forget the last player here, the banker. We'll we'll talk more about Profit First later. But first of all, everyone, give me a why in the chat. If you're familiar with Profit First, if you're a Profit First fan, let me know if you're curious about it, want to learn more and we can dive, Chelsea and I can know to dive into more of it during this conversation. But keeping in mind that a lot of people are interested in or like huge fans of Profit First right now, you mentioned US Bank. Are there any other banks that are particularly profit first friendly that are also have a pretty strong presence across the country that can be safe recommendations no matter where you
1: are. It's really simple. You don't want to pay monthly bank fees for a multi-bank account management system. If you find a bank that doesn't have bank fees, awesome. It might, you know, it's probably going to work, but there's also that personal connection, that meaningful connection, that relationship. You should have a relationship with all of your financial players, take them out mm-hmm. to lunch, send them referrals, spend time, invest time with them. The banking industry is, has been really interesting over the past few years. So it's semi-recently kind of deregulated. And especially mm-hmm. now in a, a time where COVID has really pushed us beyond outside of the box, more into this digital remote world, you're seeing a lot of completely online banks pop up. I've talked to a few of them who actually have a focus um, on law firms
0: mm-hmm. and
1: do some really cool automations around IOLTA trust tracking. So there are options out there, but the two key things are going to be no bank fees. I'm, I hate bank fees. You don't need to pay them. not in 2022. It's nothing, right? And relationship.
0: Love that. And, and when you say relationship, does that typically look like, you know, there's a certain representative at the bank that you have that one kind of human relationship with that one person, or are there usually like multiple people at a bank that you would want to get? to?
1: You know, there's different roles in a bank and the more relationships, the better for sure. But even if it's one, like my personal bank, I was with it. There was a point where I was only with that bank because of the lady I was working with. She was Mm. phenomenal. She, She was like went above and beyond made things easy But especially funding, for example, uh, capital funding. If you're looking for a loan, you need to understand what your options are. You also need to understand that different banks have different lending standards that matter Mm -hmm. to you as a small business owner, right? So your personal banker may not be a loan advisor. But you know, I network with a lot of banks because of what I do, and like I'll meet the the business banker and the loan advisor and the SBA loan representative. Like there are different players within the bank. But again, if you invest time into building a relationship with your banker, they'll be like, well, let me take you out to lunch with this person because they are head of the SBA loan approval, right? Like spending that time and seeing what your options are.
0: Well, thanks for diving deeper into all of this with me. So to recap the financial players, we've got the bookkeepers, the accountants, the retirement planner, the tax preparer, the banker. After we were talking about the the different players before we went live, I asked you about S-Corps and your face lit up. So... I feel like S-Corp is one of the first kind of legal kind of tax questions that a business owner starts to ask. And it can be really frustrating, I think, for a business owner to ask about an S-Corp and then continue to just get answers that don't really make sense. Can you give give your uh, spiel on like what an S-Corp is and what you tend to tell people who ask you about it?
1: Yes. So again, being educated on what it means, all of the different considerations, I really don't believe in cookie cutter answers. Mm. So understanding what should be important to you, what your options are. And again, the rule of three, you know, ever since I got into this space, and I'll just say that. So before I launched Core Solutions Group, I was vice president at a tax and accounting firm here in town. And my partner was one that had the perspective and literally said in a tax training, everyone should be an S Corp. Everyone should be an S Corp. And usually when people say always or never, it's, not, it's kind of like a red flag, you know, there, it really depends. Like one thing that we were talking about that I always tell people is you want to make sure that you talk to a business attorney, right? Because there's this thing where tax preparers advise on entity types, And attorneys advise on entity types. And sometimes they are not on the same page, but they both have valid considerations that you need to know about. And so from a tax perspective, when I have these conversations with people, there's this kind of broad general rule of thumb that I put out there. And it's once you are being taxed on $60,000 in profit on your end of your tax return or more, you need to start having that conversation. And and that's coming from a tax savings perspective. And the main thing that saves you taxes between a non-S corp and an S corp is being able to deduct your compensation to mm. put it simply. Cuz under a a non-S corp you can't. It's taxed. You get to take it, but that's why you're paying 15% self-employment tax on a schedule C on your personal tax return.
0: Yeah. Okay. I love this. So There's this idea of the 60K and net taxable profit measurement that helps us make this calculation easier. Correct me if I'm wrong here. I I probably am wrong because I always like just throwing out observations around this and then experts like you kind of clean up what I'm saying. It almost sounds like as long as your business is planning for growth, maybe it is true that every business should be planning to eventually elect s corp status that is like it is a milestone that businesses should be considering unless they want to keep their business below a certain threshold can you speak to that maybe
1: i will again there's no cookie cutter solution because knowing legal tax loopholes like i would yeah. tell the owner of an llc who employs their spouse and has kids between the ages of 10 and 12 you may want to stay in llc because one of those little llc secrets is that you can employ your family members not Mm. pay the employer matching payroll tax, pay them through payroll. It all goes to the same household and you get to deduct it all Mm. and you don't have to incorporate. So again, there are a few nuances and some people taxes aren't the priority. You always have to ask people what's important to you, paying taxes or having flexibility in which type, how much revenue you claim. So especially with law firms, we have a few different situations where there are multiple partners a partnership, which is still taxed as the sole proprietor at the end of the day, has a lot more flexibility in how much in profits each person pays so that they're not paying tax on somebody else's profit, right? They only want to pay tax on theirs and they don't have that flexibility under an S-corp.
0: Okay. That's really helpful. And just continue to correct me where I'm wrong here, but another lesson that I've learned both from speaking with other experts in the space and going through the process myself, for someone who is interested or questioning whether to make this jump to an S-Corp, answering the question of if it's right for your business is more expensive and is worth spending more money than kind of the transfer itself.
1: Say that one more time.
0: Like actually, once you've determined that it makes sense for your business to elect S-Corp status, Actually having someone assist you with that S Corp election filing, making sure that they've cleaned up salary, stuff like that, it's, it's really, in my experience, I paid more and was happy to pay more for that research and analysis into the question than the actual setup. And I think it's helpful for business owners to know that, that when you're paying for assistance here, a lot of that money is actually going to making sure that it's the right decision for you. It's not that like actually filing the escort paperwork costs a lot of money.
1: No, you're absolutely right. Because again, like you said, typically speaking, if you're planning on growing and having healthy profits, you're probably going to want to anticipate moving to that escort down the road. But instead of just doing it up front and dealing with all the administrative and a little bit of extra fees and technicalities that there are, be on top of it so that you get your timing right, right? So that you're positioned to where when it actually benefits your pocket, you're ready, you have your people in place, and you can just make the switch.
0: Mm. And Terrell brings up a, a good point here, that business owners should speak with both an accountant and a lawyer for their legal perspective. What's interesting, and Chelsea and I were talking about this again, before we went live is business owners need to understand that when you elect S corp status, you are still, and if you, if you formed an LLC and elected an S corp status, you're still an LLC. You're still a limited liability company. When you write or send contracts or whatever, it's still name of the business comma LLC. That being said, does electing S-corp status have legal consequences?
1: So again, this is why you consult an attorney and a tax preparer, because from my perspective, what that means to me is that even though you are legally treated as an LLC, you are legally taxed as an S-corp.
0: Okay. So that that is the distinction. And I love that. It's there. There might be legal consequences from the tax change, even though you are still legally a limited liability company. Um, you're helping me communicate this even better to my clients. So thank you. And for people who are interested in, in trying to figure this out, is there a way that people could go to, like, to your website or could go to some other resource and get assistance with trying to figure out the answer? Because I know that it can be difficult for a business owner to try and just read a blog post and come to the yeah. conclusion themselves.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So I do consultations on things like that. We just do like hour-long consultations where we can really chop it up and see what's going to be best for you.
0: Okay. I really appreciate that I asked that because I think that it's really helpful to know. I think it's really worth the time and money to just say, you know, I... I just want the peace of mind of having an expert opinion and maybe you use Chelsea's rule of three, but I'm confident enough in Chelsea that she can just tell you what she thinks and you can move forward. On that note, I wanted to ask you this. It didn't come up before we went live, but in terms of working with you, there are a, I think, a growing number of entrepreneurs who for different reasons are creating multiple businesses. For example, there are a lot of law firm owners who in addition to running their law firm, also want to run some type of other business. And because of ethics rules, want to make sure that that business venture is totally split from their law firm. So they might have two or more separate business entities, even though they might be very interrelated or their businesses kind of touch each other and type in the types of services that they offer or seem to offer. In terms of a business like that, when they go to work with an expert like you, Do you tend to kind of treat the bookkeeping, accounting, tax preparation and everything like very separately, like let's do it for this business and this business? Or is there a way for those two or more businesses to kind of be treated as one client that you work with that's just more complicated?
1: So the bookkeeping definitely separate because again, like we talked about CFO, you need to really, you need to focus on what you're focusing on, right? And not get lost in the weeds of everything else because everything else has their own nuance. So bookkeeping definitely keep books separate, but tax planning, absolutely not. You have Mm. to look at all of the moving pieces to make sure that you're positioned best.
0: That's, I think that's really, really helpful. And just for people to know that like they, they should be bringing that whole picture to you.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely.
0: Um, and before we we dive into profit first, which is, is another thing that I am really excited to dive into with you, just to put another point on that S Corp, that idea of having that 60K in net taxable profit, that that's not just money left in the bank.
1: Yes. Oh, I'm so glad you brought that up because... Especially at the end of the year when we go to prepare taxes, people will be like, Chelsea, why did I just pay taxes on $200,000 profit, but I only have 100000 in the bank? Why doesn't that add up, right? What we need to know and understand as business owners, this is part of the CFO hat you really need to own. Your net taxable profit on your income statement, your P&L, your profit and loss, that's all the same thing. That is what you're taxed on. That is not cash profit. There are things and places that money goes that it's not going to show up right there. Yeah.
0: I think that's really, really helpful for businesses to think about in general, but especially when they're thinking about that S Corp election, because it can be really easy to just look at what's left in your bank and assume that you're not ready for these things. Right. That's
1: right. Yes. And we, I, I have, it's like my favorite thing to do we do a budget and cash management setup where I'll meet with business owners, take historical data, create an initial budget. And then we forecast 12 months out under two scenarios. Mm. And I can literally take that calculator and do an S corp scenario and a sole prop scenario. And you can see the tax savings, like flip a switch, bam, bam. This is what you would pay. This is what you will pay because, That's you crazy. know, so it's, it's amazing.
0: Yeah. And it's also just, frankly, I can't tell you how nice it was to stop having to worry about estimated taxes when we made the <laughs> switch.
1: Yes.
0: I, was, I was talking to an attorney friend of mine who's like, I don't care if I have to pay more in taxes. If it gets me out of having to keep my hands on top of these quarterly estimated payments, like it's worth it.
1: Yeah, that's why you prioritize values, right? Some people don't mind paying tax. It's the peace of mind they want to take with them to bed at night.
0: Yeah, so good. So let's talk about profit first. So how do you describe profit first, maybe the people who sign up with your services and who haven't heard of that concept yet?
1: I use Mike McCalwix. He's the one that wrote the book, Profit First. Now, he didn't create Profit First. I feel like he just put it out there to the world in a super easy way to digest. This method is referenced all the way, I mean, it's referenced in the book, The Richest Man of Babylon. That book is, I don't even know how old, right? But what he did is he's like, here's this really simple idea that everybody can use. And I love the way that he puts it. He's like, some of us, some of us who are a little older, Remember when Mommy and or dad would come home on Friday with their money from their job, they got paid in cash, right? And they would sit down at the kitchen table and they had envelopes in front of them and they would take the cash and make sure that priority envelopes got filled first and whatever was left, that's our fun money mm-hmm. for the week, right? So it's the envelope system in a modern world via multiple bank accounts.
0: And what are those different envelopes?
1: So typically the the standard structure is you've got your revenue bank account. So all of your earned money goes into one bank account, all of it. It all just gets dumped there. From there, you make transfers periodically, whether it's weekly, biweekly. Some people can even get to monthly to your sub accounts. Those are typically your OPEX, your operating expenses, which is everything except for payroll. Mm. payroll, we separate because that tends to be one of the biggest expenses a business carries, payroll. And then you set aside for tax, and then you set aside for profit. So it's kind of those five bank accounts to start with.
0: I love that. And, and just to clarify, when you say payroll, I'm sure there are people listening who might have one or more contractors on their team who they're paying outside of payroll. Does that also include just team Payments, Or is that really just people on the employee payroll?
1: You said it, I I refer to it as team expenses, especially nowadays, people are contracting out more than ever, but it's still part of your team. It's still part of that metric of people and labor that it takes to generate your revenue. So it all comes out of there.
0: I love this idea of having a separate team expenses envelope and my memory might be serving me wrong, but I think that in profit first, that's not an initial category that he recommends that you set up
1: it's not it's owner's comp instead of payroll that he recommends i believe it's called owner's comp because his theory is you prioritize owner compensation
0: okay so what you're saying is that team expenses would include owner's comp or you would have an owner's comp and a team expenses
1: So, and I don't do it by the book Profit First, like I'm not Profit First certified, right? Because I like this wiggle room. I like, again, Mm -hmm. this non-cookie cutter solution to whatever your situation is. So under an S-corp, for example, you are an employee. Therefore, I'm going to calculate it into that payroll account, Mm -hmm. right? If you are a sole proprietor and you're taking draws, that's a balance sheet expense that comes out of OPEX. But what we do a lot with my clients is we will even, whether it's a sole prop or an S-corp, we will take a percentage of that profit account because under an S-corp, you can still take that draw, right? But you got to make sure it's your ratios are there. That's that gray area that the IRS gives us. They're like, make sure it's right, but we're not going to tell you what right is. (laughs) So so we'll do like percentages out of profit even. So it kind of depends again.
0: Yeah. And this came to mind, so I just wanted to share it money is a very vulnerable topic for us entrepreneurs right and i can't tell you how many times i've been in the room with like other law firm owners or in like a coaching environment where people were very hesitant to share their numbers both in terms of revenue but how you know that money is moving around and i know that there can be this sense sometimes of business owners being like i don't even want to pay someone to help me with my money until it looks a little bit better. So what would you say to someone who's like, man, Chelsea, I would love to work with you, but I feel like I need to clean up this mess before you see it. Cause I don't want you to judge me.
1: I would say that, look, there's a, the reality is a lot of people carry shame around their money. Uh, situation around their money management, around all of it. But let's, let's ask ourselves why, right? It's almost as if we've been conditioned to do so because nobody is telling us that we should be having these conversations. It's almost like this back room. Let me go. Let me go check my money stuff and come back, right? School is not exposing us except for learning how to count, right? Count Mm -hmm. money, We count money, but we don't manage money. You know, I would say recognize that It's not a matter of a lack of ability on your behalf, you probably weren't taught. So it's kind of one of those things where you, especially as a business owner, as a successful business owner, you really have to practice humility, it is hard. But in order, you know, what got you here won't get you there. And to get to that next level, you really have to reach out and ask for help and find people who are better than you and put your your, your pride and your, you know, shame and to the side, because in the end it's really going to empower you and the mission that you stand for through your business. You know, I would say that, and especially like the person who you're asking for help with on your money, they've seen it all. You're not the first, (laughs) you won't be the last. Like I know it feels that way, but we see it all the time. It should be more of a conversation had around dinner.
0: Yeah. And I, and I think until we get to that point, it's at least good to have one person on your team that you can be really vulnerable with and get assistance with this on. When people do work with you, especially at a higher level, is it usually the case that they just continue to work with you ongoing? Is there a sense that like things need to be fixed to, at a certain extent, and then they're like, okay, on their own? It seems to me like once you would start working with someone at your level, that's kind of like a lifer investment. Yeah,
1: absolutely. Absolutely. And, you know, my thing, like I just created a membership and launched a membership this year where I have a community of law firm owners and we are working on opening up that conversation around money. Right. And I am lecturing in a group setting about, you know, teaching people how to CFO. My goal with my clients is I, I want to teach you how to reach your full potential, recognize those boundaries when you need to pull somebody in. If we need to have a fractional one off CFO meeting, let's do it. I'm going to make sure that you understand what's going on. So, that you now have that knowledge in your bank and continue to build on that, even if it is outside of me when it comes to money principles, money mindset, but the bookkeeping, tax, and evolution of all of that, that is a lifetime relationship.
0: Okay, great. And I ask that also because I'm thinking about you in your own capacity. With your different brands, different ways that you help people, are there just a couple of numbers of like opening spots, or do you have your business set up so that? As many people during this call who want your help, you know, they could all potentially work with you.
1: The only thing that I am limited to in terms of capacity is my one-on-one fractional CFO. Okay. Everything else is built and I train and empower my team to be able to deliver the same value to as many people that enroll. That's awesome,
0: okay, that's great. Was that a hard thing to design for your business?
1: Absolutely. I I was telling you, I saw you and Melissa, what was the other gentleman's name yesterday? Chris. Yeah. Chris, you guys were having like, y'all, if you're watching and you didn't see that, like go back and look at the live from yesterday. It was an amazing conversation on leadership and leadership has always been near and dear to my heart. And I've had my own journey with it. Everybody does. But if you're a business owner and you are not Practicing and always a student of leadership, and because we are learning so much in the realm of leadership right now, mm. there's always something to be learned. Yes, it was hard, yes, it was an investment of my time and resources, but it was worth it.
0: Mm. I can't stress leadership enough as something that we can all be focusing on to improve. In terms of that idea of investment and leadership, and I know that you say that you love working with passion and purpose. One of the common criticisms that I hear of people who are very by the book in terms of profit first is that it has, or it can sound like it has a very kind of hard boundary around expenses and budgeting and making sure that you're getting ROIs for things Can you speak to your philosophy when it comes to cash flow and money management on this idea of costs versus investments and instances where it might be worth it for us as business owners to be putting our time and extra resources into things that might not give us that measurable ROI quickly?
1: There's a law out there, Parkinson's law, and it says for every increase in expenses or for every increase in revenue, your expenses will meet or exceed that increase mm. within six months wow. unless a specific force is put against it. Mm. We are human. We have human tendencies. Profit first is that specific force. Yeah. But at the end of the day, I believe you need to know and understand you, who you are, and what your mission is. Mm. You know, for example, Profit First says put your tax and profit bank accounts in a totally separate bank account so that you're not tempted to use it. If you know you're the type of person that's going to log into your bank account and make that little transfer from profit over to, Mm. you know, whatever it may be, set it aside, right? When you're analyzing ROIs, recognize that not all return on investments are monetary, Mm. What's your mission? What's your long-term vision? Because that's going to dictate your strategy.
0: Yeah. I'm really glad that you say all of that and share it because I think that as a business owner who wants help in these ways, we have options of who we can work with. And there are plenty of people who will have, especially, I, I think, in the same way that lawyers have to unlearn a lot of what we've learned to run good firms and build good businesses, I imagine that people in the accounting and bookkeeping space also have to unlearn some things that they might be taught in terms of risk aversion and other things. And I love your attitude and perspective towards thinking about investments as more than just a cost. And at the same time, like holding people's feet to the fire when they want to spend significant amounts of money on extra coaching or consulting or things that they want to do that they think will help the business.
1: Yeah. And you mentioned, we both mentioned earlier, you know, it really does have to be a good fit. I'm not a good fit for everybody. Everybody, I'm not effective. My methods and techniques are not effective with every person. Doesn't mean it's right, wrong, indifferent, right? You need to just go find somebody who is effective with you, which is why these are relationships. with people right so again that comes back to you got to know yourself do you need somebody who's going to be in your face and tell you and Mm. hawk your bank accounts and be like stop doing that or do you need somebody that's going to be like okay let's you know like you know you have to know how to best manage yourself and and match yourself with people who are going to contribute to that
0: yeah well you guys can tell by now that i'm a huge fan of what chelsea does i think that yeah, you're not a good fit for everybody, but I think if you've made it this far in the conversation, I, I would recommend that you reach out to Chelsea. Chelsea, for people who do want to connect with you, what would you recommend is the best next step?
1: Law firms, law firm owners, you'll want to go to yourcoresolution.com. And that has all of our other social media modes for almost everywhere. So all those little icons are up in the corner. Right. If you're a woman, law firm owner, or business owner, you'll want to go to lp3.me. Now, again, both of those kind of do the same thing, but there's a unique historical conditioning that plays into the mindsets that women tend to carry around money, which is especially important when you're a business owner. Um, mm. So that's kind of the difference there, and why I'm passionate about that as well.
0: Well, I love that there are enough options for me to get involved one way or the other. But you guys, <laughs> I, I really, I can't thank Chelsea enough. Chelsea, thanks for um, being willing to tackle some of these difficult questions that I have. I'm super grateful for this kind of layout of the different financial players, because I, I think that I often talk with my own clients about, ideally, as your business grows, you're forming a board of advisors for exactly. your exactly. And eventually we want that to look better than just some business besties in a Facebook group. Right. So uh, if you're interested in having a new player for your business that can help you with the money, I can't recommend uh, Chelsea and her two brands enough. Chelsea, thank you again for your time. Uh, that, you, does yeah. it. that does it this week, you guys. I'll check you out with you guys next week on the Business Growth Advantage. Thanks everyone for tuning in.
1: See
0: you next week. Yeah. All right. That'll do it for this week's episode of the Business Growth Advantage with me, Joey C. Vitale. Thanks for tuning in. I'll see y'all next week.